So we've been going through the parables of the great storyteller, Jesus Christ. And today we're going to look at the parable of the sheepfold. And since I didn't get a chance to read it to the children right there, I'm going to read it to you guys. So make believe you're sitting in a warm place by a fire, and Uncle Serge is going to read you the story. Let me set this before you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen, instead of going through the gate, you know he's up to no good, that he is a sheep rustler. The shepherd walks right up to the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him, and the sheep recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he gets them all out, he leads them and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice. They will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. Jesus told this simple story, but they had no idea what he was talking about. Surprise, surprise. So he tried again. I love that about Jesus. I'll be a little bit more explicit then. I am the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good. Sheep stealers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and, kill and destroy. I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd puts the sheep before himself Sacrifices himself if necessary. A hired man is not a real shepherd. The sheep mean nothing to him. He sees a wolf come and runs from it, leaving the sheep to be ravaged and scattered by the wolf. He's only in it for the money. The sheep don't matter to him. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and my own sheep know me. In the same way the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I put the sheep before myself, sacrificing myself if necessary. You need to know that I have other sheep in addition to those in this pen. I need to gather and bring them too. They'll also recognize my voice. Then it will be one flock and one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I freely lay down my life, so I am free to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own free will. I have the right to lay it down. I also have the right to take it up again. I received this authority personally from my Father. Can you imagine being in the crowd when Jesus said these things, 
Can you imagine if you were a Pharisee and you heard these things? Can you imagine what it must have felt like for them to sit there and go, wait, wait a minute, hold on. So, okay, there's a shepherd, there's a watchman or a hireling, there's a sheep, there's thief, there's a wolf. First you're the gate, now you're the shepherd. Like, what is going on? I mean, I could see being very confused by this. So I want to share with you five powerful themes that are in this story. And we're going to go through some of them a little deeper than others, but I just want to go through these powerful themes that are in this story that I think are really important. First of all, we learned something last, last week, didn't we? We learned that every story, every parable, no matter what it looks like on the outside, the ultimate reason for the parable is to show what? The graciousness of God. Remember that? God's grace and mercy. So the first one is the amazing grace of God. The whole idea that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We're going to talk about that. The second one is the relationship between us and Christ. The sheep and the shepherd. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. How many of you know the voice of Jesus? How many of you can recognize that voice? I believe that when it's all said and done, I've read this from someone once before, and I believe this with all my heart. When it's all said and done, when we get to heaven, we will recognize the voice of Jesus. And we'll be like, that was you? The third thing is to be aware of the enemy. That there's a wolf out there. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. I think too often we don't talk enough about the wolf. And, and, and the enemy has this great way of getting us all up in arms about all kinds of things and we get, and I just gotta remind you, it's just the wolf. Don't let him get to you. And the fourth one is there is a kingdom for all mankind. I love this. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. We talked a lot about this when we talked about being a contagious Christian. But I'm going to remind you of some things just in case you forgot. And then finally, living for Jesus is living life to the fullest. How many of you believe that? Living for Jesus is living life to the fullest. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Do you believe that? So let's talk about that first one. The amazing grace of God. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I'm going to talk to you today about how people in our culture think about God. May I share with you that the way you think about God really defines who you are. How do you think about God? God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for you. Do you believe that? But let me tell you how today's culture reads that. God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan, plan for you, but rules and restrictions apply. 
For God so loved the Son that he, for God so loved the world, sorry, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should never perish, but have everlasting life, but rules and restrictions apply. That's how the world sees it. I want to read you a quote here from uh, a comedian, George Carlin. It says, he says, religion has actually convinced people that there is an invisible man living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day and the invisible man has a special list of 10 things he does not want you to do. And if you do any of these 10 things, he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time. But he loves you. So we laugh at that because we know this is absolutely not true. But this is how the world sees how Christians see God. I mean, where does he get this from? He's got to get this from somebody, right? He's, he has had to meet some Christian somewhere, or many perhaps, that made him feel this way. These are the kinds of people that I want to say to, you know, the God you don't believe in, he doesn't exist. That's why you don't believe in him. I don't believe in that God either. I don't know who this guy is. And if we're not careful, we need, if we're not aware of this, then we will not know how to answer people when we're out there. If we don't know how, about, about the way people really truly think, we will fall into a trap. And we will be like the thief that tries to sneak in over the the sheepfold. Here's a couple of more. This is uh, Gene Roddenberry. He says, we must question the story logic of having all, an all-knowing, all-powerful God who creates faulty humans and then blames them for his own mistakes. How are we doing out there? Have you met people like this? Have you had questions like this? Here's another one. What? God? Well, you know, when you want something really bad and you close your eyes and you wish for it, God's the guy that ignores you. This is Steve Buscemi, which, by the way, is going to be starring in this series, and he plays the part of God. I don't know how they decided this is the guy to do this. The world knows God as the God that says you can't. You can't do this. You can't do that. I don't know about you, but don't you think he must grow tired of being misrepresented? I mean, this smear campaign started a long time ago in the beginning in the garden, when, when the serpent said to Eve, is it true that you cannot eat of, of all the fruit that are in the garden? And she's like, no, 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 hold on, no, no, not, not, no, no, there's just one, one tree. But you see, isn't that the way the enemy does it? Doesn't the enemy make it look like, like all the, like, 
he's the God of can't, you can't eat this, you can't do this, you can't do that. And he gets us concentrating on what we can. But actually, if you really think about the garden, God said, hey, this is what you can do. You see all these trees, you see all this garden, you see all this, this is all yours for you. There's just one, that's it. Everything else is yours. That's a pretty good thing, isn't it? That's a pretty good odd. Okay, this is just this one. In fact, he doesn't even say, just figure out which one it is. No. He says, let me take you there. This is the one right here. Don't go here. Don't go near it. Don't go smell it. Don't go touch it. Don't you eat it. That's the only one. Everything else is all yours. The whole world is yours. Play with the animals. Name them. Have fun. Enjoy yourself. Just don't go. This is the God of the can, not the God of the can't. But the enemy has us so worked up into thinking that he's the God of the can't. Some churches have people at the gate robbing seekers of their experience. Oh no, if you're going to come into this church, you cannot dress that way. If you're going to come into this church, you cannot listen to this music or sing that way. If you're going to come into the church, you cannot eat this way. If you're going to come into the church, you cannot, and you know, the cannots just, just pile up. And then we wonder why our churches are empty. I love the fact that our church is full. We got some good people at the gate. I love that. But let's not rest on our laurels, Amen. Let's constantly try to better ourselves in reflecting the love and graciousness of God. Don't you agree? You know, we have to remind ourselves that we are just the hired hand. Christ is the shepherd. He's the only one that gets to lay down his life for the sheep. In fact, a little later he says, the work I do in my Father's name And this is from the same chapter, by the way, as he's trying to explain it to the Pharisees. He says, the work that I do in my Father's name testifies about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my hand, out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are what? One. Woo-hoo. See, you and I have, are, are used to hearing this. That we, doesn't, that doesn't make any, it's fine, that's great. But to the Jewish person, to hear somebody say, I and the Father are one, well, that was just blasphemy. I mean, who do you think you are? I just told you. Before Abraham was, I am. And so the shepherd, who's not only the gate, becomes the sheep to be sacrificed on our behalf. Are you catching this? You've often heard me quote this this quote. It is not the fear of punishment nor the hope of everlasting reward that leads a disciple of Christ to follow him. 
but they behold this matchless love from the manger in Bethlehem to Calvary's cross. And the sight of him softens and subdues the heart. And they hear his voice and they follow him. See, no one should be sitting in here because you're afraid of burning in hell. I'm just telling you that right now. That, that one's a little easier for us. Here's one's a little more difficult. No one should be sitting in here because you just want to get to heaven because you don't want to miss out. Hey, listen, 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 listen. There is nothing wrong with being not, not wanting to burn. I, I get that, trust me. You know, it's like on my top ten of, top one, actually, of not wanting to die that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't want to die that way. And there's certainly nothing wrong with saying, I want heaven. I want heaven in my life. I want eternity. Nothing wrong with that. But the reason why we should be here is because Jesus is irresistible. It's because we hear his voice and we cannot but listen to it and go forward and, and do what he says and, and, and be who he, he wants us to be. Has Jesus become irresistible to you? If not, that's okay. Give him some time. Spend some time with him. Trust me on this. He is so good. He is so amazing. He will become irresistible to you. I just know that in my mind. So the second part, which is perfect for this, right, is that uh, it says, wait, hold on, that's the third one. Let me go here. Is that there is this relationship between us and Christ. This idea of hearing his voice and listening to it. You know, uh, probably the best way that I can do this is, I, I, don't you love the 23rd Psalm? This is the shepherd psalm. This is the psalm that we often hear at funerals, which is like ridiculous. I mean, I, it's okay, I'm okay with that. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But I'm just saying this is way more than just a funeral psalm. Right? This is David who had a relationship with God and he sings this song and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. See, he could be your shepherd. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But I can tell you one thing. He's my shepherd. See, that's relationship. I shall not want. See, that's provision. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. You see, that's serenity. He leads me beside still waters. You see, that's, that's refreshment. He restores my soul. That's healing. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. That's guidance. For his name's sake, that is purpose. Yea, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, that's the challenge. I will fear no evil. That's the assurance. For you are with me. That is faithfulness, the faithfulness of God. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That is leadership. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That is sustenance and hope. You anoint my head with oil. That is confidence in me. That's what David is saying. My cup runs over. That is abundance. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That is the blessings of God in our lives. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. That is security forever. That's eternity. 
See, that's what a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with the shepherd, does for us. I mean, who doesn't want provision, serenity, refreshment, healing, guidance, purpose, challenge, assurance, leadership, faithfulness, sustenance, confidence, abundance, blessing, security, and eternal life? Who doesn't want that? The third one was, beware of the enemy, the wolf. And the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And all through the scriptures, the enemy of soul has been known in many different ways. As the thief, the wolf, the serpent, the lion. Anybody come face to face with the lion? See, too often we read this as some kind of, 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 you know, like, you know, God's looking for you to make a mistake. You know, be careful, you know. But when we read this verse in, in, in 1 Peter, it says, be alert and be sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is a an opportunity for us to, to be aware. This is not something that God is telling us so that, so that we are scared. This is something that God is telling us so that we are ready, in season and out of season, all the time, ready. Keep an eye out to make sure that when we are confronted with the enemy, we don't fall into that trap. That trap can look in so many different ways. It can make us feel self-righteous. That trap makes us feel like, hey, I'm the one that's, that's right here. No, it doesn't matter who's right. That's a trap. Be careful. Don't go there. That trap can look like, 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 like self-righteousness. Look at me. I'm wearing all the right clothes. I'm eating all the right food. I go to church every Sabbath. I pay tithe. Oh, yeah. Give me five, God. That's a trap. That's the enemy. Be aware. Be alert. Because you just don't know how he shows up in our lives. And then number four was a kingdom for all mankind. He says... I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. Right? They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. See, even though Jesus loves these arrogant leaders that he's talking to, in an attempt to diffuse that we are best and we are the only ones, you know, this whole exclusivity mentality that had plagued them and made them so ineffective as ambassadors of truth, Jesus says to them, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus says, look, stop with this. Stop. This is another trap. See, before there was a chosen, Jesus says, before there was an Israelite, I was already guiding believers. 
Before there was a Seventh-day Adventist church, I was already guiding believers. And there are believers everywhere. Don't you get into this, to this trap of being exclusive. I am the good shepherd. I have other sheep. I can imagine them going, what? Can you repeat that? Yes. I am the good shepherd and I have other sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. One of the most remarkable statements to disarm the exclusivity mentality that can often infect the church. From time to time we ought to read this. I have other sheep, not of this fold. I love my fold. I love you. But don't forget, I have other sheep and not of this fold. I believe that as we get closer and closer to the last days, that the church will be made up mostly of converts. How are we doing? I've witnessed this exclusivity mentality. It comes in all shapes and sizes and colors. The Bible's full of people outside the church who demonstrate often greater faith and nobility than those who were inside the church. Isn't that true? I mean, in, in, in the scriptures, the centurion, the Syrophoenician woman, the Samaritan woman. I mean, Jesus was using, uh, last week, we talked about the good Samaritan. Jesus would use these uh, stories, these people, to, to, to say, hey, look, please, stop thinking you're all that. Sometimes the more subtle, but no less dangerous, exclusive behavior is demonstrated by the way we unwelcome those who look or act. We even criticize those who may think differently than we do, worship differently than we do. Sometimes we carry this unpublished list of people we talked about this this morning in Sabbath school. Who we don't think have much a chance with God. And so, why bother? And can I say this? That list is different for everybody. And so I would check your pocket from time to time. Is there a list in my pocket? When you meet somebody that you're not really connecting with, and you're like, yeah, I'm not bringing this person to church. Ask yourself, wait a minute. Is this person on my list? Is there, really, is there really anybody that God cannot reach? Is, is that possible? See, I don't think so. I think there are people that will not allow themselves to be reached by God. But I don't get to judge that. I do believe that the, anybody can be reached by God. And that's the way I have to approach this concept of the other sheep. Finally, the last thing is uh, living for Jesus is living a life to the fullest. Do you believe that? I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Do you believe that? See, I can't believe that only six people are going amen. Because our church says what? We believe Jesus enriches your life beyond imagination. Isn't that what we believe? It's all over everything we have. I mean, it's every, we believe, this is what we believe. We believe in John 10.10. 10. 
We believe in the more abundant life. We believe that God gives us fullness of life. I mean, if we believe that, then do you believe that? See, if you're a member of this church, you, you got to believe that. That's what we are saying we are. This is, this is why we do what we do. We believe Jesus enriches your life beyond your imagination. That's why we accept and serve and love you like Jesus. Because of that. That's it. It's simple. you got to know why. Memorize it. Let it speak to you deep down inside in every fiber of your being. See, part of the problem is our definition of abundance is different. Isn't that true? We live in a world that is, that is warping the way we define abundance. Would $25 million uh, make you happy? <laughs> well, I tell you what, not if you're a member of the ultra-rich. Catch this. Um, catch this quote here. This is in a survey titled Joys and Dilemma of Wealth by Boston College funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. The wealthiest set revealed that they are an unhappy bunch, worried about appearing ungrateful, rearing bratty children, and failing to meet expectations. One wealthy blogger was only in the $7 million club, so I can understand that said this, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I have a life of dreams compared to people that I know. I have no real money problems. I've spent years traveling the world. I'm about to take a month-long vacation on a tropical island just for the blank of it. I am still relatively young. I'm cute enough and naturally slender. God bless her. I could get most any guy in town. I'm applying to Ivy League schools and stand a good chance of getting in. I do meaningful work that I love. And amazingly, I only really work 12 hours a week. Now, who wouldn't want to have this person's life? So I have all the time in the world to relax, spend time with friends, pursue hobbies, travel, whatever I want. And I've been, excuse my language, freaking miserable lately. What does she need? She needs, that's right. It's the, it's the kindergarten answer, isn't it? It's the cradle all answer. She needs Jesus. He's the only one that can truly give us life to the full. Isn't that true? I think some of you guys teach cradle law just to be reminded of that from time to time. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, right? So what do you think are some fears that the wealthy might have. Here we go. Ready? Real quick. They, that they don't know who their real friends are. Can you imagine that? See, if you really have a lot of money, you just don't, are you my friend because of the money or are you my friend because you love me? Here's another one. That they are under constant scrutiny. Here's another one. That someone will break into their house and rob them. <laughs> And here's one more, that people will always be asking for handouts. This is what the wealthy 
fear all the time. This is how the wealthy live all the time. I'm not saying you shouldn't be wealthy. Don't misunderstand me. But what I am saying is that that wealth will never give you the life of security, the life of, of fullness that Jesus is talking about in this chapter, in this parable, John 10.10, 10, the more abundant life. See, abundant living is like life with advantage. So I can tell you right now, I am nowhere near the million dollar club and will never be. But can I be honest with you, man? I have never been so happy in my life. I mean, I, I, I have gotten to do things in my life that I, and, and I think about it. I think about it. Like, I could have forfeited everything for a contract and a bag of weed. Are you following what I'm saying to you? Those of you who know my story, you know exactly what I mean. I was a drummer in a rock band, and that's all I wanted to do, and that's all I wanted to be, and that's what I was going to do, and that's, I would have forfeit everything that I've been, the, 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 the travel, the, 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 the joy of, of, of seeing people baptized. I don't know if you, I was, you couldn't see my face. I was, I was so happy. It was so amazing to me. I mean, to miss out on that. To miss out on my wife and my child and all the joys that have come with all of this. Man, let me tell you something. You cannot ask for more. Here's what I believe. I believe that the world is yet to see what God can do through one person. One person that is totally committed to kingdom, true, abundant living. Because God is the God of the I can. It's all through the Bible. Noah, you don't really think you can build that boat. Well, God said I can, so yeah. Abraham, you don't really think you can have a kid at 90. Well, God has said I can, so I can. Joseph, you can't possibly think that your dream will come true now that you're uh, 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 in the prison. Well, God said I can, so I think I can. Moses, you can't expect Pharaoh to set the Israelites free. I think he said I can, so I think I can. You don't expect them to, to, to make it go through that sea, do you? Well, he says it's going to part, and I think he can, and I think I can. See, that's, those are the people that we follow. Those are the people that, that, that are cheering us on, that are waiting for us so that they can experience the exact same perfection that we will, all of us together, one day when Jesus comes and resurrects them and us, that is going to be amazing. Joshua, you can't defeat Jericho by marching and yelling. Really? Yes, I can. Esther, you can't go before the king. Yes, I can. David, you can't defeat that brute. Yes, I can. Daniel, you can't survive. Oh, yes, I can. Paul, you can't evangelize the world. Really? Yes, I can. Richland Church, you can't possibly think you're going to make a difference in this community. Oh, yes, we can. Yes, we can. So I want to leave you with a challenge today. Because the piano's playing, and I'm assuming that's it for me. That was perfect timing, actually. If you knew you only had 30 days left to live, 
I'm not trying to be morbid here. Just, just stay with me on this, okay? If you knew you only had 30 days left to live, how would you change your life? What would you do? As far as relationships, if you only had 30 days left to live, who would you call? What would you do differently? Your interactions with coworkers or other, other people that you know, your church members. How would your spiritual journey change if you knew you only had 30 days to live? Well, don't wait for that, man. Experience is abundant life right now. Would you do that? Amen.